Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we are speaking with Dave Burrs. Dave is a man on a mission. He spent a large chunk of his career leading the creative departments of some of UK's biggest and best advertising agencies. Now he's focused on demystifying creativity to help individuals learn new skills and to help companies use fresh thinking to innovate more effectively. Dave's opinions have been published in books, magazines, and newspapers. He's the former editor-at-large for The Drum, Europe's most popular marketing website and magazine. Last November, he released How to Get to Great Ideas, which became a bestseller in half a dozen Amazon categories. He also wrote A User's Guide to the Creative Mind, and co-wrote the best-selling book, Iconic Advantage. He's also a broadcaster. In 2014, he wrote, directed, and presented the television show, The Day Before Tomorrow. He's created a number of other films since, and is currently working on other TV and film projects. He can often be found traveling around the world, speaking, consulting, or teaching or sitting on the floor making up ridiculous stories for his three-year-old daughter. You are listening to part two of our interview with Dave Burrs. As a leader, you need to communicate clearly the expectations. Absolutely. And I think encouragement as well. I think recognizing people when they go out of their way for doing work. One of the things I used to do was I would give people frequently infrequent rewards, if that makes sense, or maybe infrequently frequent rewards. When people went above and beyond, they would very often they would come in and on their desk, I'd have left them a bottle of wine, bottle of whiskey, or something else that they liked as a gift. They wouldn't get it every time because if they got it every time, they would expect it. Mm. And once you start expecting things, it then goes to that zero point again. It becomes valueless. Right. So I didn't want expectation. But it would mean that every now and then when they did stuff, there would just be something on their desk with a little note saying, look, I saw that you worked over the weekend on this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And a little thoughtful something. And that was far more powerful than, you know, just, well, it's your job. You're supposed to do it. We all have to do it. (laughs) Which is the way that a lot of people seem to react in business. But it's just being thoughtful. And those little, I noticed what you did things were really valuable. But I got to say that a great team is one that works in the absence of the leader, not just in the presence. Valuing the people you work with is extremely important because I see if I'm a part of your team and I see how much you value me and value my input and insights and what I bring to the team, then of course I'm going to work that much harder. And it's not because of the whiskey or the wine, (laughs) but because you've shown that you value me and my work. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I love Dan Pink's book, Drive. And he talks about there's three things that lead to really motivated teams, really motivated people in a workforce. And you've got autonomy, which is one of them. And then you've got purpose as another one. And off the top of my head, I can't remember the third one. Yeah, <laughs> but, I wish but, I had read the book because I, <laughs> I would help you. But one of the things that he talks about is if you're wanting people to do a repetitive task that doesn't require any thinking, if you want them to do that, that this sort of low mental capacity task that's just repetitive again and again, mm-hmm. if you offer them a monetary reward, you will get them to do it faster and more effectively. If you want to do anything that involves any rudimentary brain power, any small form of thinking, coming up with ideas or anything like that, you actually find that giving people rewards works against you. Because what a reward does is it makes people run from A to B as quickly as possible. But if you're wanting people to think about stuff and to consider stuff, you actually want them to explore. It's not about going from A to B as quickly as possible. You want them to go via C, F, G, N, M. You, know, you want them to go all over yes. the place to explore before they get to B. Mm. And yeah. the only way to do that is recognition, not reward. Mm. So that, for me, I didn't realize that I was doing that at the time. But it was then reading Dan Pink's book. It's just like, ah. That's why that worked. (laughs) So it's great that there's been psychological studies to prove that that's the way to do it. I love your curiosity. That just goes hand in hand with how you bring that out of people as well. So thank you so much for that. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it's shaped your life? Yeah, this is one that might make people feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, I was bipolar in my 20s. Mm. And it was the best thing that could have happened to me. A superpower, huh? Absolutely. It was a superpower, most definitely, because it expanded my vision of what was possible. I entered as a very passive and meek individual. wasn't one to go out of my way to try and do stuff. But when I had manic episodes when I was bipolar, I felt that I could change the world. I was able to see things with incredible clarity. I had so much energy. And I would just be writing constantly and drawing pictures and doing all sorts of stuff. And, you know, when you're going through a manic episode, I mean, I was a nightmare to live with at that time, but it was a beautiful thing to go through. And I think if you get any person who's got bipolarism, well, most people who are bipolar and you ask them, would you like us to take it away? Most of them will say no, because it's an incredible experience. So I went into that as a very meek individual and I came out wanting to kick ass with this vision to change the world. Mm. And I've still got that. I've still got that drive. I've still got that vision and that passion. I've still got that belief that I can change the world in some way. And it's one of these things that in recent years, when we've started to look at mental illness in the workplace and mental illness just generally in society, because at the moment in the West, one in four people are suffering from a form of mental illness at the moment, whether that's uh, raised anxiety, whether it's uh, depression, uh, whether it's other sort of stress-related things. One in four right now, it's huge. Mm. So it's something that to me has become very important, is getting people to understand that mental illness isn't always necessarily a massive drawback. It can be a superpower. I've got a friend who's an incredible designer, hugely awarded, amazing designer. And she has got OCD. It can be kind of crippling to her at some points, but she has got a superpower because she can look at a piece of design and tell you if something's out of balance, tell you if something's not working because she's got this hypersensitivity. 
to things being in order. There's a guy I was speaking to last year who suffers from anxiety and he's trying to deal with it in his life, the anxiety, but he makes him an incredible project manager. He was a, an amazing guy to work with because he spotted problems before they came up. <laughs> and he was able to take his natural anxiety and apply it to this job to be excellent at his job. So wow. I, I think that we need to be looking at mental health issues in a different way than we are at the moment by not talking about them, by seeing them as something that makes you less than human and seeing them as something that is a debilitating drawback because sometimes they can actually be a strength. I love having this conversation because the same thing goes with someone with ADHD, attention mm -hmm. deficit hyperactivity disorder. I've come across master chefs who see this as their superpower. I can believe that. They can pay attention to everything at once, and that's necessary to be a great chef. So I love, love, love what we're talking about here, especially I've been trained to be a special ed teacher. And so I've come across situations where I look at kids and am in awe of some of the things they can do. And yet, quite often we look at some of these things as disabilities and not differences and superpowers like you're talking about. So this is wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate just your authenticity and your vulnerability in this. Well, that's all right. I mean, it's, it's, I think that neurodiversity is something you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. We really need to be looking at and, and it's seeing that it's different ways of thinking. It's not a lesser way of thinking. And I know that there's some companies who have actually been doing a really good job of this. Microsoft have been deliberately hiring people with autism as developers because they find that they can actually be so much better at dealing with the code. There is a guy that I interviewed for the book who is the head of marketing for an insurance company called Direct Line Insurance in the UK. And he has deliberately been hiring people who have got uh, neurodiverse. The word that's trying to come to mind is neurodiverse issues, but I don't see them as issues. Neurodiverse ways of approaching life. Love that. Neurodiversity. Perfect. All right. So, Dave, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? Well, you know, I'm British. I don't like blowing my trumpet. Um, <laughs> but I would say that I'm really proud of my new book. This is years of thinking that's gone into this book. I'm really proud of it. And I've been getting good feedback from it. So I guess that I would say that. But if you want to know about how to get to a book, it's a lot of work. <laughs> mm -hmm. So your latest book? It's How to Get to Great Ideas, it's called. How um, to Get to Great Ideas. And we can find it also on Amazon and on your website. Yes. All right. So, Dave, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? You know, I don't know if I could trust anyone who isn't a lifelong learner. Mm. I don't know if I could work with someone like that. Right. I think that must be a really sad existence. <laughs> if you think that you've achieved something and that's it. Right. I've learned this. I've got it. I'm done. Imagine mm -hmm. that. That'd be a horrendous life. To me, curiosity is so important. And I'm constantly learning stuff. Mm -hmm. For some reason at the moment, I've been spending a bit of time watching woodworking videos on YouTube. Now, I don't have any place to do any woodworking. Nice. But I am fascinated <laughs> with how people are doing these woodworking things. And I get so much satisfaction from seeing people achieve something and polish it and make it just look gorgeous. Mm. And I'm learning from it. It's stuff that I can't currently apply, <laughs> but I'm learning from it. You always have to be 
learning stuff. But I would say that it's not just about educational stuff and it's not just necessarily about stuff with, with your job, with your career. I believe that we need to be learning about life and people and about everything around us. So what happens as we get older, we tend to get less adventurous, which is why you don't get as many 70-year-olds bungee jumping as you do 20-year-olds. You know, we become less adventurous. Our circle of comfort contracts over time mm -hmm. and our routine becomes ever more routine. Mm -hmm. So that's a natural progression that happens to us. I don't want that to happen. And I mm -hmm. think that it's our responsibility to fight against that natural contraction. So unless you want to spend your last days on earth being the smallest minded person you've ever been, you need to fight against it. And how you do that is by constantly doing stuff slightly outside your comfort zone. And that can be as simple as let's start off by just ordering a different coffee from what I normally order. I'm just mm -hmm. going to push myself outside my comfort zone. I'm going to read a newspaper that I wouldn't normally read. I'm going to go to a place that I wouldn't normally go to. I'm going to talk to people that I wouldn't normally have conversations with. And this isn't just about education for your job. This is about you making sure that your mind is expanding, constantly growing, so that the last days on earth that you have, you have the biggest, most open, most powerful mind you've ever had. Because the alternative is absolutely terrifying for me. You know, I love that. You're certainly activating my heart because as I get older, I'm a curious person. So I like to do things and I like to be adventurous. I actually jumped out of a plane when I turned 40. That was my first time. And I loved it so much. I did it several times since. Oh, what? I'm still to do that. Not turn 40. I've done that. <laughs> I'm still to jump out of planes. Yeah. You have to do it. It is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> sold sold it to me thank you Lily. delicious <laughs> hey leaders stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message if you haven't downloaded your copy of the master leadership journal go to masterleadership.org forward slash mlj to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders i've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. So speaking of mindset, you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? <laughs> I think my days are too varied for me to have a, a locked in routine. Mm -hmm. You know, today I've been planning some online education mm -hmm. and, and working on some coding. Last week, I was editing a film. I've got a magazine article to write this week. So every day that I'm doing something is different from the day before. Right. I don't have a routine in that sense. However, there are things that I do. Mm -hmm. One of the things is that in the morning when I get up, I try to get the most urgent emails out of the way first so that I can free up my mind to apply it to other things. But then there's something else that I make sure that I do every day is I always make sure that I've got space to think now, that's about considering things, it's about making plans, it's about questioning what I'm already doing, it's about mm -hmm. getting to the whys behind the whats. Mm -hmm. And that is something that from working in offices, I've seen that that's missing from most people's days. And it's because of this increasing drive to be more and more productive. So in the last ad agency I worked in, I was expected to be more than 90% utilized. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that's ridiculous. That leaves me absolutely no time to do any thinking because it's all focused on doing. And we have to understand that thinking and doing are separate. So doing means that, you know, if you're going to focus on that, then to be honest, you're pretty replaceable because it just means getting in somebody else who can do that or even worse, get a robot to do it. So you don't want to be just somebody who's focused on doing. Thinking is how you add volume. And the way that you do that is you need to have a certain amount of space. Because as I said, it's important to feed your mind. But it's also it's important to question things. It's important to give yourself the space to think about things and consider things. So give so me a I practical would, thing to do to give myself space. Go for a 20-minute walk, even as part of your workday. Because sitting at a desk, desks are designed for doing. If you think of what's on a desk, there's a keyboard, there's a mouse, there's a monitor. There's a desk tidy with some pens in it. You know, everything is focused about doing. The way that you show your value is by hitting those keys harder and faster. Well, that's what life is for most people. And getting away from the office forces you to think. Again, I've, I've already used a terrible cliche that embarrasses me by talking about the Kodak thing earlier on. But I'm about to use another terrible cliche, which is talking about something that Steve Jobs. Stop you. <laughs> I know. It's talking about something Steve Jobs would do. And that's if he did an important meeting. He wanted to talk to someone. He had a walking meeting. And there's so many benefits you get from that. One is that you're not confined to office thinking because you're in a different environment. Mm. So you're out and about, you're walking, you think differently than you do if you're sitting at a boardroom table or an office desk. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Then there's the fact that you're away for a certain amount of time. So you actually, you talk for that whole amount of time. You actually are quite productive when you're doing a walking meeting. And then there's this other thing that I believe that physical movement causes mental movement as well. So if you're stationary, you're sitting still, then your mind tends to be still. But if you are moving, then your mind is getting new, different input, different stimulus, and it causes your mind to move as well. So it's one of the most powerful things to do is actually to go out and have a walk or to have a walking meeting. I'm ready for a walk right about now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Dave, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? (laughs) Oh, that's such a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, it's about changing the focus. You know, our focus has been very much in teaching kids what to think rather than how to think. Mm. And our education systems these days are still based on a system created in the Victorian era. So if you look at the way that our terms are split up, they're still based on harvests. So that was the whole point that kids were off during the summer so that they could actually help out on the farms and do things. Our whole holiday systems are based on that. And education has a purpose. The whole point of education from the very earliest days was really to create work units ready to go into the marketplace when they leave. But the skills that we need for the future, what I believe the most important skills are, and this, it's not just me that's saying this, but creative thinking, curiosity, adaptability are the most important things for the next generations. And I don't believe that they're being taught in schools. I believe that kids are being taught what to think. They're not being taught how to question. They're not being taught how to be curious. And in fact, when you tell kids that this is the way you do it, and we're marking your workings, um, not just your answer, then what you're telling them is this is how you do it. And at that point, you kill curiosity because there's no discovery there. And that's one of the things that I think is a real problem. We need to react to somehow in education so that we keep our kids curious because if we don't keep our kids curious 
they're not going to be coming up with as many ideas. And ideas are what forms the future. And good God, right now, do we need good ideas because there's some sucky mm. ones that have got us in some terrible places. And uh, I think mm. that we need to move away from the tick box approach to education that's arisen in recent years, which has made life miserable to teachers and professors and educators. I think it's been the worst thing to happen to education. And if we don't move away from it, we're going to do our children a disservice. Mm. So there, I think there's so much that we have to deal with here, but a lot of it is bureaucracy. And then beyond that, it's about actually looking at how we encourage kids to think rather than encourage them to be able to get great test results every single time. Well said, David. Thank you so much for sharing that. Speaking of curiosity and moving forward, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well, and why? Oh, goodness. I would say that what's really important is whatever you read, listen to, or watch that has got a breadth to it. It's not just confined to things that are going to confirm your own bias and your own beliefs. Mm. And that means reading things, listening to things, watching things that aren't things that you're necessarily going to be comfortable with. It's going to be stuff that's going to challenge you. And if you go into that challenge with an active mind asking, what is it I can learn from this? You're always going to be able to learn. But I would say that everything that you do, you should be constantly trying to nudge that comfort zone with your input rather than just confirm your own beliefs. Thank you. Now, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? If I was able to go back in time, well, I mean, I'd say that become the leader of a time travel company because time travel is clearly <laughs> possible and, and nobody's doing it right now. That's the area you should be looking at. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's important to have a good opinion. And I think if you've got the best opinion in the room, that's a really valuable thing for leadership. And the only way that you would get the best opinion in the room is by consuming as much as you can and asking questions. Mm. So I teach people how to judge because judgment is a thing that we tend to be really bad at. We tend to react to our gut and we put our hands up and go, no, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Therefore, it's wrong. I'm going to say no to it. And that's what happens a lot in business. And people don't understand the way that their gut works. And your gut is your second brain. It's got more neurons in your digestive system that are actually doing thinking than a hamster has in its whole body. So you've got a hamster brain down there and it is quite genuinely your hamster brain that is reacting to things that makes it feel uncomfortable, things that it hasn't seen before. So people react to that. They're reacting to something that has got the mental capacity of a hamster. That's pretty sad. Mm. So rather than going, hold on, what my gut is doing is it's alerting to me to the fact that there's something to pay attention to here. And if I pay attention to that, then I'm going to use my rational brain to work out what is it that's important about that and how do I respond to it. So instead of saying no, you go, well, hold on, this is reacting to something because that thing is new, because I've never seen that before. And that means that I might encounter some problems that I've never experienced before. But I was asking for something that was innovative. Therefore, anything that truly is innovative is going to make my gut react because I haven't seen it before. <laughs> so it's to understand that we have to react to that. And, and I think that my younger self could have done with that advice and understanding about how each of us makes decisions ourselves. But also the fact that we become better at judging the more we consume. 
So mm-hmm. if you consume things like, look at great ideas, look at inventions, look at great businesses, and start asking yourself, what's so good about that? And actually write it down. This is great because try and come up with three things for every good thing you spot. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn from it. And you're going to have a side effect from that learning. That The learning is going to make you better at judging ideas because you're going to understand the criteria for judging ideas. Mm-hmm. And it's going to give you more input and more inspiration for you to come up with ideas yourselves. So that would be my advice, is just consume as much as you possibly can and ask questions. You know, I have so many more questions and we're running out of time. (laughs) But I do want to say that what I'm getting from this is the importance of really knowing who you are and knowing yourself and being curious about yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm constantly discovering things about myself. Um, I think one of the best ways to discover things about yourself is to start mentoring. And then people will ask you questions. And they'll say, how would you approach this? And it forces you to crystallize your thinking. And then you go, but why would you do that? And it forces you to crystallize your reasoning and work out whether your reasoning is correct or not. And I think that that's a great way of learning about yourself. I would say for anyone who's wanting to progress, even if you're quite junior in what you do, you can still start mentoring at colleges, uh, with young people, with juniors in the industry or or whatever. And you're going to learn so much about yourself just by having people ask you questions. Perfect. So Dave, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I just want to make it as easy as possible for people to be able to direct their creative thinking in the right directions at at the right time. So I've got something that might be useful to the listeners, and I've created a whole suite of digital tools to help people think in different ways. It prompts your thinking in lots of different ways. And there's, there's seven or eight things up there on my site at the moment, and it's continuing to grow as I add to it. So just on daveburst.com, if you click on the resources tab, you'll find some tools there that you'll be able to use to help you come up with ideas that you wouldn't normally have. And of course, buy my book, read my book and get in touch because you might be able to tell I'm quite passionate and excited about things. And I love hearing from people. So if you get any questions, just drop me a line and I will do what I can to answer. Well, David, I want to thank you so much for your generosity, for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been so much fun. It's been great. Thank you so much, Lillian. Thank you, listener, for getting right to the end of this podcast. You're a special person. We love you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lily. been great chatting to you. Thank you. Have a great day. And you. Cheerio. Take care. Cheerio. <laughs>